And for the rest of us in here, you're going to have a great time too. <laughs> Looking forward to the start of this new series, a Christmas gift-giving guide for the next three weeks. But I do have to ask, how many of you are already done shopping? All right, you don't get a pass because I will say some things that will relate to you and you can put them into application even if your shopping list is done. And I am so jealous that you are already complete in your shopping list. Uh, Just to see kind of where we're at here, how many of you have done some Christmas shopping online? All right. Um, How many of you did all your Christmas shopping online? All right, so several of you, and maybe some of you who were already done did it all online. Isn't that convenient? I mean, it is so amazingly convenient. You can just go, oh, I don't have any ideas, and you just ask Amazon. You say, what's the best Christmas gift for a four-year-old boy? And then they give all kinds of ideas. So, so here's on the screen a couple of them. And I thought, wow, and I'm not giving anything away, I'm, you know, of what we actually purchased, that kind of thing. But you, you, can, you can get all these ideas. It's kind of convenient, you know? And then it gets a little harder, though, when you get more specific. What's a good Christmas gift for a 30-year-old man? Well, it took me 30 years to look this good. And I'm thinking, well, they might like that. And and how many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you, when you are shopping on Amazon, uh, when when you say best, they have those little markers that say best, they have a little marker that says best overall. How many of you trust those? Do you ever ask yourself, best for who? Best for me, or best for the person I'm buying for, or best for you? You know, I, I hope it didn't plant some seeds there. I, I do pick some of those best ones, and, and it's like, okay, I'll, I'll go with that. And so far, I, I've been happy with it. So, so, so convenient. How many of you agree that's kind of convenient? All right, I'm not going to embarrass you, um, because I'm doing it too, but we're going to talk about inconvenient gifts this this day. It's like maybe convenience isn't everything that uh, we should aim for, and we're going to talk some about inconvenient gifts. I mean, certainly convenience has its value, but don't forget the value of inconvenience. And maybe you're thinking, huh? All right? So just if you're thinking that, huh? Let me just ask you, how many of you would prefer to open the cupboard and get the bread, pull it out of the plastic bag, it's already sliced, and go from there. If you had the choice of pulling a loaf of bread from the oven, still hot, slice it to the thickness you want, melt the butter, (laughs) and eat it. Do you see that there is value to inconvenience? So there, I mean, if you like that, now, if it was somebody else that made it, oh, really valuable inconvenience, right? I really love that. Hot bread. Oh, uh, okay, all right. 
back to where we are. So I, I ran across this Mark Batterson quote. He's a pastor and an author, and he said this on the screen. One way to show someone you love them is to simply go out of your way for them. It is the gift of inconvenience. I thought that's a pretty good thought. And people feel loved when they know you went out of your way for them in some way, that they feel loved. That's kind of a nice thought. So today we're talking about gifts of inconvenience. And so ways to go out of your way is another way of saying it. Gifts of inconvenience, you're going to have to go out of your way for some of these. Ways to go out of your way. Point number one, pay the price of sacrifice. Pay the price of sacrifice. Now I'm going to read a portion of scripture that I'm sure you didn't memorize and I didn't either. It's going to be out of 2 Samuel 24, and if you want to turn there in the Bibles, you can, because I'm going to read a portion that's not going to be on the screen, so let's kind of black that out for now, um, as we kind of catch up to the background. In 2 Samuel 24, starting at verse 18, we read, on that day, Gad, uh, and we learned earlier that Gad is the prophet David's seer, so I had to look up, what's the difference between a prophet and a seer? And it's real similar. A prophet is a prophet that uh, receives uh, messages from God by the power of the Holy Spirit. A seer is when a king or somebody else recognizes this gift and puts him in an official office to be his prophet, so to speak, his seer, an office that he seeks out the counsel from the prophet. So Gad was a prophet who was David's seer, which is interesting to me. And he was good at his job, which fascinates me because I don't know anybody that named their kid Gad. You know, name your kid Isaiah, name your kid maybe Elisha or Elijah, but never Gad. Just planting a seed there. Anyway, um, don't do it. Gad went to David and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Araunna the Jebusite. Had to do some digging here. Um, Araunna is hard to say. He was a Jebusite, which meant that he lived in the area that later became known as Jerusalem. The chief city of the area while it was Canaan was Jebus. Jebus was changed to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the location of Arauna, his threshing floor. And Gad told David to go buy that threshing floor and offer a sacrifice there. I'm not going to tell you all the whys. You can look up the backstory even behind that a little bit if you'd like to in 2 Samuel 24. So, verse 19, David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. And when Araunah looked and saw the king and his officials coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Araunah said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Araunah said to David, let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and here are the threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Araunah gives all of this to you, O king. 
May the Lord your God accept you. Then, now on the screen is the verse that I'm zeroing in on. But the king replied to Arauna, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them out of his own pocket. So he wasn't going to take the easy gift. He was going to pay full price, or maybe even better than full price, I don't know. And that location, which happens to be the same location that Isaac brought up his son in Genesis 22, and uh, that was the place that said that God will provide the lamb. The same location is where he offers up this uh, altar and sacrifice. Later on, that same location becomes the temple site. Later on, that same location becomes the place of the crucifixion of Jesus. Just some background there. But the point I want to make at this point is that David captures the essence of the gift of inconvenience when he said, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So I, I just want to emphasize this. David's willing to pay the price of sacrifice. Why? He loves the Lord God. So let me just talk about this for a moment. Worship, genuine worship for God involves personal investment. Personal investment. Let me just put in a little plug, okay? Scripture says that when we come together to worship, it actually commands us to sing hymns, psalms, spiritual songs. Commands us to sing these things. So if you thought that this was a show and you listen, no, this is not a show. Our audience is one. We worship God, okay? And a personal investment is required. And you don't have to be musical, Scripture only says, my dad always quotes this because he's tone deaf and he sings monotone-ish. But he never hits the right notes very often. And uh, he used to say, God only says to make a joyful noise. And that's what I do, make a joyful noise. So let me encourage you, personal investment in worship, it will do something shifting your heart, okay? It's a part of the sacrifice. Now, for some of you, it's a bigger sacrifice than for others as you're thinking, who's listening around me? <laughs> Never mind. That's a different story. All right, so genuine worship is personal investment. Genuine love for anyone involves gifts of inconvenience. If you're never inconvenienced in a relationship you say is somebody you love, you are a self-centered pig. <laughs> Of course you're going to go through inconvenience and serve the one you love. It's not love if you've never inconvenienced. Okay? Just, just a thought. And, and we get this from a lot of different Christmas stories. Let me just put it on the screen. One that you're familiar with, perhaps, the gift of the Magi, O. Henry. It's a classic written in 1905. It's about Jim and Della. They're so in love, but they're so without money. And they decide to sacrifice something that was so valuable to them to try to make sure to give a meaningful gift to the other. And it's got this twist in the story, and I won't give it completely away. It just, their sacrifices ironically made the gifts 
non-functional because they each sacrificed something that now the gifts were meaningless when they received them. And then this is what you read at the end of the book as an explanation for, is this wise or was this foolish? The Magi, as you know, were wise men, wonderfully wise men who brought gifts to the babe in the manger. They invented the art of giving Christmas presents, being wise. Their gifts were no doubt wise ones. And I have chronicled for you how two foolish children unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures of their house. But let it be said that of all who give and receive gifts such as they are, are wisest, they are the magi, end quote. So Jim and Della were as wise as the magi because they gave of their most important treasures to make a sacrifice for the other one, and oh, they love each other. Okay. (laughs) Ways to go out of your way, point number two. Ways to go out of your way. Point number two, the inconvenient gift of serving. The inconvenient gift of serving. When we turn our attention to the original Christmas story, we can't help but turn our attention to Mary, the Virgin Mary, who Angel Gabriel appeared to her and gave a specific message to. And oh, how inconvenient this message was. All right? We read in Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 31 to 32, and this is not on the screen yet. I will wait till we get to the punchline here. You will receive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, Mary knew, wait a minute. And she knew even after it was explained, is this going to happen to you this way? There's not a man in this picture. She said, now wait a minute. Understanding her culture and how that's going to be perceived, so inconvenient, filled with misunderstanding, filled with accusation, filled with your character, which is everything to Mary, and your character, which is everything to Joseph, is going to be dropped tremendously by this thing that they have to decide How how do we cope with this message now? Now, the punchline, here's how Mary coped with this message. Luke 1, 38, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. She signed up. She totally embraced this very inconvenient gift, recognizing it's going to be very, very, very different and very, very difficult, and yet God is asking me to do this. This is obvious. Not everybody sees an angel, right? And I trust God. I say yes. And so she offers herself as a very inconvenient gift to see what will happen. She did experience painful misunderstandings and accusations. 
So Mary's inconvenient gift of service was a profoundly powerful expression of love. Ways to go out of your way, point number three, the inconvenient gift of responsibility. The inconvenient gift of responsibility. So, then there's Joseph. You what? No way. How am I supposed to believe this? Right? And there's lots of movies out there that depict this rather well to kind of help us understand the, the culture and the climate, what's going on. And Joseph, whose his whole goal is to be a man of honor, is now, like, he's got to decide. Because in that day, even if you're just betrothed, it's a lot stronger commitment than our engagements are in our culture. To unbetroth, <laughs> you have to offer a certificate of divorce or ask for you know, legal action, and David decides, read about it, Matthew 1, David decides he's, David, Joseph decides that he's going to um, preserve his integrity, and yet, be as kind as possible to her, not go the legal route, but to kind of silently try to make it okay some way, and it's not, it's just a mess. But then he goes to sleep at night, and in a dream, God speaks to him. Read it. Joseph now knows. Mary was right. I can believe her. I can trust her. Now what does he do? He takes on personal responsibility for a child that's not biologically his. He takes on personal responsibility for all the pain and accusations that are going to take place and he embraces it knowing it's God's will. Let me just say this, because it makes me think of this. Those of you who are foster parents, bravo. Bravo. It's, there's nothing convenient about becoming a foster parent. And you've decided to personally take on the responsibility of another and all of the challenges that come with that. Well, since I'm handing out all these compliments, parents, those of you who are responsible over your own biological kids, bravo, how convenient is a child? <laughs> right? Bravo for taking on the responsibility and gifting that child with being the responsible parent over that child. So the inconvenient gift of responsibility is amazing. Keep giving that gift. Ways to go out of your way, point number four. The inconvenient gift of forgiveness. The inconvenient gift of forgiveness. Now we're getting a little bit closer to the heart of the matter here because as you think about Christmas, you ought to think about the price that God is willing to pay to forgive us. What was God willing to pay to forgive us? What was his Christmas gift to us? We read the classic verse, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's God the Father watching his only son dearly loved from eternity past no beginning, no end, 
And yet with this abrupt interruption that's been prophesied for thousands of years, he's going to watch his son die on a cross for crimes he did not commit. Our crimes. These crimes are called sin. Crimes against holiness, crimes against God's creation and perfection, crimes against God's design for us as human beings. That Jesus was willing, because he's loved his father so much, and of course loved creation so much, and his father is willing, because he loves us so much, to send his only son. Then we see this scene when Jesus is willing to pay the price on the cross. We see this scene in Luke 23, 34 where Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus knows how hard it is for his Father to watch as Jesus the Son is being tortured mercilessly and Jesus' life is being sucked right out of him as he has voluntarily absorbed our sin into himself. Paul writes, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And then he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Honestly, all the sins that I've committed when I've committed them, I'm not thinking of what I'm doing to Jesus. If I was really thinking about what I'm doing to Jesus, I don't think I would have committed them. I hope. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Paul later writes in Colossians 3.13, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, most of us have offenses committed against us that are very difficult to forgive. Some that are so difficult, you say, how in the world can I forgive the unforgivable? There's some in this room that feel that way. How in the world can I forgive the unforgivable? Here's how. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all, Jesus died for all of us, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So in the exchange that takes place on the cross, when you come to terms with it, Something takes place so that those who live, because before the cross and that exchange, every single one of us is in a human condition that spiritually speaking, we're dead. And the life of Jesus isn't in us and the unity with God is not experienced. And so of course, when we feel uh, that cry of justice for the unforgivable, we want justice And we don't really understand mercy because we've never experienced the mercy of having everything forgiven by the death of Jesus. But once you've experienced that, a shift takes place inside where the dead soul comes alive 
And the dead soul comes alive spiritually in a way that doesn't really make sense totally. And maybe the best way to describe it is story upon story upon story. So I want to share a story. It is from the book Unbroken. They've made a movie out of it. I haven't seen the movie, but I do recommend the book. Great book uh, written by Laura Hildenbrand, author of Seabiscuit. She recounts the amazing true story of World War II veteran, the prisoner of war survivor, uh, Louis or Louis Zamperini, who was also an Olympic runner. Um, just side note. But on May 27, 1943, Zamperini's brother, uh, bomber sorry, <laughs> left Oahu in search of survivors from a downed plane. About 800 miles from the base, one of the engines cut out and the bomber plunged into the ocean. Zamperini and another soldier would stay afloat on a tiny life raft for 47 days, a world record for survival at sea. After confronting sharks, starvation, and dementia, their real battle would begin. Zamperini spent the next two years as a Japanese POW in the no notorious Sugamo prison. In particular, a guard named Watanabe, nicknamed the bird, ensured that Louis endured constant physical torture and verbal humiliation, all in an attempt to shatter the spirit of American soldiers. In 1944, after Louis had been declared dead, he returned to America. To, to a rush of publicity, unfortunately, his life quickly descended into a new self-made prison of alcoholism and bitterness. In particular, Louis now endured constant nightmares about his past and an obsessive drive to murder the bird. But the walls of addiction and hatred started to crumble in 1949 when Louis attended a Billy Graham crusade and heard the gospel and trusted in Jesus as his savior. After receiving Christ, in the words of Laura Hildenbrand, when Louis thought of his history, what resonated with him now was not all that he had suffered, but the divine love that he believed had intervened to save him. He was not the worthless, broken, forsaken man that the bird had striven to make him. In a single, silent moment, his rage... His fear, his humiliation, his helplessness had fallen away. That morning, he believed he was a new creation. A year after trusting Jesus as his savior, Zamperini returned to the Sugamo prison in Japan where he met with his former captors, except the bird, when Louis was told that the bird had committed suicide in Hilder, and here's in Hildenbrand's words, Louis felt something he had never felt for his captor before. With a shiver of amazement, he realized it was compassion. At that moment, something shifted sweetly inside of him. It was forgiveness, beautiful and effortless and complete for Louis Zamperini the war was over. There's story after story after story when somebody suddenly realized all of my sins 
all of my shame was completely covered and removed. And I've been set free with a brand new life. That old me was crucified with Jesus, buried with him in the tomb, and I have been made new. With all of that mercy, something real is placed inside to where you can give the very inconvenient gift of forgiveness to another who's just like you. Sacrifice, serving, responsibility, and forgiveness are all inconvenient gifts. Did you know that Jesus gave us a gift-giving guide? I would encourage you to read it when he tells a story about the separation between his and those who are not his in Matthew chapter 25. It lists out in that story a gift-giving guide, which is not comprehensive, but you get the idea. And the idea is summarized in Matthew 25, 40, this way. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So I want to give you a heads up for where this series is going. We're going to have the crescendo and the finale on Christmas Eve. And as part of the finale celebration, we're going to give an inconvenient gift. I want you to consider participating in it. Uh, We have as a leadership of this church, the board and the lead team decided to take the take an offering on Christmas Eve. After all, it's one of our regular 52 Sundays. We're going to take an offering just the way we normally do, online or in the giving boxes, no fanfare. But we're giving that offering away. And where we're giving that offering away is to the Verde Valley Homeless Coalition. All right? So, just in case you're like an online giver and you want to participate, um, any time between the uh, 19th and 25th, okay, any offerings that come in there. Otherwise, we would encourage you to be thinking in terms of the giving boxes on Christmas Eve and getting it here in person. But if you happen to forget or whatever, 19th and 25th, somewhere between there, nobody's here on the 25th, okay, <laughs> just to let you know, but... Uh, that, that, that's going to be all tabulated, collected. So write your gifts to Verde Valley Christian Church and we will write one check to the Verde Valley Homeless Coalition. Why? Because anytime you've done it to one of the least of these, you've done it to Jesus. So Christmas is Jesus' birthday. How ironic it would be if all we did on Jesus' birthday party is we all got together and gave each other gifts and forgot the birthday boy. (laughs) Jesus is saying, okay, as long as you understand that if you're doing this out of my love and you're doing this to the least of these and you're doing this with all the right heart, I mean, I received that gift. But when you do it to the least of these, it's those people that are not in your inner circle. There's nothing coming back your direction this just to bless them because Jesus blessed you, that is the kind of gift Jesus 
really loves. He says, when you've done it to the least of these, whether it's the gift of sacrifice, the gift of serving, the gift of responsibility, the gift, the very inconvenient gift of having bought all your Christmas gifts and now you're broke and you're trying to figure out, I want to give to Jesus. Okay? So I'll let you wrestle with that, give you enough time to think about that if you want to participate in that. And we can celebrate what happens with that after that. Uh, I would assume on Christmas, uh, uh, New Year's Eve on that Sunday, we'll tell you what happened. Okay? So at this point, I just want to say thank you for coming. I hope you are encouraged. I'm encouraged to be a part of a church that can do stuff like this because of you. You've been so faithful. It's like, okay, we've watched God be faithful. Let's see him do it again, and let's see what he does. If you're a guest, and you've been a guest, and you still haven't uh, filled out a Connect card for us, it's a good uh, step for you, I believe. It's a good step for us also to kind of connect and to know more about each other. Take a filled out card, just takes 30 seconds, so walk over to the information table right there in the hall on the way out, hand it to them, and, and receive a gift bag, which includes information about us, but this information about you, then we can follow up on and start talking about what could be next steps for you. And the other thing that I'd like to tell you about is, I know we're talking about gifts and giving and Christmas, and sometimes Christmas is a very hard season. We know that. Because we have all these expectations, ho, 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 and everybody's filled with joy and not me, and I'm just so depressed. You could have a challenge, and if you'd like some prayer, take a card that says prayer, and Write out your prayer request. Our staff will be praying for these, okay? And if you need prayer right now, uh, prayer team, go ahead and make your way over to the prayer area. They'd be happy to pray for you as well right now for anything that you're troubled by, that you need God to, to work in your life. Maybe you want this internal shift that I've described by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for you. That's something to celebrate and pray about and just declare openly and start taking steps. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your very inconvenient gift to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your very inconvenient, painful sacrifice, taking responsibility for us, doing uh, what you did not deserve to make a way for us. And we thank you for that. Help us to know and understand more about that and uh, help us to be people that just are fully receiving that grace and so fully receiving it that we can't help but give more grace and mercy away. Help us to be like the candles we will light on Christmas Eve. You are the light, the source, but you've put your light in us. Now you even call us the light of the world. Help us to shine even starting today in ways that are inconvenient. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.